Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus Chip Nellinger. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, if you're looking for a great place to find great sales tools for your salespeople to sell more stuff, go to heyarrow.com and check out all the great products that Arrow has to offer. Chip is with Blue Reef Agri-Marketing out of Morton, Illinois, and he's kind enough to come on a couple times a week to talk about what's going on in the marketplace. So, Chip, how are you doing this morning? Hey, doing well. How are you doing, Casey? Not too bad, man. Well, it's, uh, we're in the middle of harvest. You know, I saw last, uh, last yesterday the... Uh, uh, harvest progress reports come out like they do every week and looks like about 50% done across most of the uh, of platforms out there. But the one thing that that keeps popping up in the news and it keeps getting uh, more and more um, legs under it is the wheat market. And I want to spend a little time with you talking about what's going on in the wheat market. So if you take a look at some news that's out there now, you know, Ukraine has set some export quotas as far as to uh, as what they're going to let get out of the country. Uh, Russia's export tax uh, has gotten it keeps going higher and higher, and as you take a look at these uh, various reports that come out, stock ending stock reports, um, the wheat number keeps getting smaller and smaller, and we are up against uh, some more. Um, I don't want to say we have total problems right now when you start looking at what got planted for the fall, but you know they got some timely rains, but coming off of a, a pretty dry spell, so it's going to take a lot of rain to get some of the stuff going. Um, I guess, what are your thoughts on the wheat market right now? And as you take a look at, at world food supply, you know, wheat and rice both play a big, big factor in that. So what's your thoughts on wheat, wheat as we move into the wintertime here? Yeah, that, I mean, all those factors uh, throw in there, uh, add to that <clears throat> some problems in, uh, in Europe. They had a pretty dry summer. I think their production was down. And then the, the drought in the northern plains in Canada uh, really decimated the spring wheat crop. And so uh, for the first time in many, many years, the wheat market kind of has been leading us higher and, and, and the leader to the upside. You know, this most recent uh, USDA crop report pegged the world uh, carry out 277 million tons. That was, that was below the lowest estimate. It was a drop of 6.1 million metric tons. I believe that was like a six or seven year uh, low. Uh, it's not like we're running out. It's not that critical of a situation, but it has tightened significantly over the last few years. And, uh, you know, you look at uh, oats, our, our new all-time highs here, uh, what they've recently traded, uh, I think, 660, 670. Uh, corn, we, we have a good crop here, but 
you know, as far as the, the demand on corn, that has ramped up. So all these feed grains, whether it's oats, wheat, corn, they're kind of working hand in hand right now. And, um, you know, that bodes well for United States uh, export demand, uh, I think, going forward. Because as you hold those bushels off of that Black Sea market, whether that be Ukraine or Russia, um, what that means is we're going to eventually start picking up more export demand. We've already started to see that, actually. Hasn't been wildly dramatic in the case of wheat, uh, but it has been ramping up, and they've been some decent, uh, you know, weekly export uh, sales totals in here. And um, you know, uh, China's been taking uh, not so much our wheat, but they have been importing some other, uh, you know, uh, world exporter supplies of wheat. And so that this this wheat trade worldwide has definitely tightened up, and and eventually that should mean you know, better demand for us. And in our carryout, you know, 580 million, according to this last report from the USDA, that was down 35 million. Um, you know, good, good things happening. And, uh, but with all that being said, you know, we raise wheat, uh, in, in every continent, uh, on, uh, earth and it doesn't take very long to get, you know, production ramped up. So we really have to keep uh, our eyes on the, on the ball here. And, you know, we've got 22 wheat in the case of Chicago, you know, has traded uh, 750 ish. It's a little bit under that now. 22 Kansas City wheat is just north of 750. But even the 23, well north of $7, if you started seeing that uh, up towards 750 or above, I think that's an opportunity for producers to really think about uh, implementing some strategies to, to try to lock some of that in. It, it's, uh, it's, it's been a while since we've had $7 plus wheat. I don't think you can rule out, um, you know, eight dollars, maybe a touch above, on both, um, you know, like twenty-one, maybe not December, but like the March or the May contract of Chicago uh, and Kansas City. Uh, but when you start getting north of eight bucks, you start getting into some uh, some rare air. And again, it's just taking, you know, it's it, you know they say the the old economic saying, the cure for low prices is low prices. We've had pretty multiple years of low prices. Uh, in wheat and you know that cut acreage down and we're coming off of you know a couple years with lower acres uh here in the united states and now you sprinkle uh, a couple production problems in different parts of the world and all of a sudden you know the the shrinking acreage shrinking supply because of production problems and now we see prices uh you know react to the upside and you know the the opposite's going to be true of that when you get uh north of seven seven and a half dollars maybe approaching eight that's going to uh, stimulate some extra production around the world. Won't happen overnight, but you know, two three years out, uh, this thing could have a have a long tail. So it's just part of that normal cycle that we see, and uh, it's good right now. It could be some upside to this thing, and uh, and that's good for wheat producers. The other thing too, sprinkling into this is is this whole nitrogen situation, and right, um, you know, that's kind of out of control. <clears throat> China reportedly going to suspend up to 30% uh, or, or they're 30% of the world's nitrogen production. And, and so far, it sounds like they have somewhat suspended exports. Uh, you know, India and other uh, Asian countries get a lot of their nitrogen production uh, from China. Uh, Europe has its own issues. And so what does that mean for acreage makeup will that push more wheat acres it's not quite as um you know intensive on the wheat 
as far as um, you know, comparing that to corn and 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 wheat. So there's a lot of things that could uh, affect acreage here going forward and the availability of nitrogen. And obviously that's going to be a direct, if you have to cut back on nitrogen because you can't get it, that's obviously potential yield drag. So there's a lot of moving parts in this thing that uh, it's going to make it interesting. Uh, and then you throw mother nature, right? We're going to, we're going to need some uh, timely rains in the, in the plains. Um, you know, we're getting stuff planted, I think in, in decent shape, but uh, a lot of those areas, Kansas has been, you know, drier than normal. Certainly all the way up through, uh, you know, north of you guys in, in Nebraska, yep. uh, into the Dakotas, Montana, you know, they haven't fixed that problem yet. Uh, so we'll see what kind of moisture they get over the winter and, and into spring. So Mother Nature is going to have the final say-so in this uh, regardless. Yeah, we need a lot of help from Mother Nature when it comes to moisture. There's a, it's dry everywhere. We need some snowpack in the mountains to get some irrigation going. So there's, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot riding on this winter as far as snowpack goes. And hopefully the uh, wet, cold winter thing is, is is right this year for a change. All right, man. So let's jump over and take a look what's going down in Argentina. So we've got, you know, the Brazilian uh, first corn crops getting planted right now. They're running and they're doing well. They've got the moisture that they needed and those kind of things are looking like they're supposed to. Um, but you flip over and look at Argentina and they're really dry. And so a couple of things, that's that's us. It's a soybean area and also a wheat production area too, you know, talking about wheat a little bit. So let's take a look at what's going on in South America right now. What are your thoughts there as we move into the, into their spring or winter? Yeah, de definitely mixed bag. You know, Argentina's large corn producer as well. So uh, they, they're a big player uh, in this world supply situation. Uh, you know, we're still entrenched in uh, La Nina. Uh, La Nina at this time of year for South America uh, historically has Argentina trending dry and they definitely are right now. Um, it's early enough in the season there that they have some time to get some precipitation, get healed up and, and get stuff planted. They're not as far along as Brazil to the North of them. And so that's definitely going to be something the market watches, uh, from, you know, as you mentioned, corn, beans and wheat production. How is Argentina getting along? On the flip side of that is Brazil, where they're going to plant a massive amount, probably a record amount of acres. They're uh, like double the pace, the planting pace that they normally are. They're, they've gotten some rain right now, and it's very early on. It looks like you have the makings for uh, maybe a massive crop in, in Brazil. And so as you get into winter, that might be part of the reason that this bean market, now that we're, uh, I think we're just north of 60% harvested nationwide in beans, so we're definitely on the, you know, the, the downside of harvest in here, and uh, we've had several good uh, days this week, uh, you know, running, uh, cutting beans, and and so that's that's something the market's going to pay close attention to as you get into winter time frame. Um, doesn't mean a lot, now. I mean, they're definitely dry, but I think if you push this, uh, say, a month from now into mid to late November, and they still haven't received much more rain, and, and they're still struggling with dry weather, uh, that's going to be something that starts, uh, you know, affecting the, the bean market especially, but all our markets. You mentioned they're fairly large wheat producer, big corn producer. Sometimes um, also, you know, the, the one of the main areas, production areas of Argentina, is not that far and kind of butts up against uh, some of those big producing areas of southern Brazil. And so that's what the market's going to watch closely for too. If, if that La Nina keeps that area dry, that could maybe drift up 
and affect some of the uh, you know high producing areas of southern Brazil as well. I think that's more of you know like December January uh, type of a, of an issue where the market's going to be more um, responsive to to dry weather down there. And uh, and it's definitely as tight as we are, even though the the USDA has you know raised up bean yields uh, and kind of got the double whammy. They found eighty some million bushels of beans on the September thirtieth stocks report. So our our, our bean carry has gone up, but it's still sub eight percent stocks to use ratio. And so if there is any threat in the southern hemisphere, you know between now and and January February, <coughs> the bean market could get explosive. Um, and just you know, potential for massive volatility because, on the flip side of that, if it, if it goes well, and and you know, even if Argentina has an average crop, and and Brazil has a decent yields, they are set for with the acreage expansion they've had and and record profits for the last three years running. Uh, you, you know how it just seems like we can. It's hard to get a weather uh, issue generated, right? Look at what we right. had here. This past year, and still going to come off with one of the biggest uh, bean yields we've ever had. Brazil's so spread out north to south in their production, it's hard to get a general problem. And, and so that's a big fear in the back of my mind is you, you get all the conditions right in Brazil, and they could end up with an absolute monstrous crop. Like right now, they're projected, I think, 142, 143 million metric ton crop. I mean, that's several million tons bigger than the biggest crop they've ever raised. And I think you could expand that if they get the right uh, weather down there and, you know, maybe push that up 145, 146, just an absolute massive crop. And we'll have to contend with that, um, you know, spring into summer if if that's the case. But uh, it's very early on. And so, again, you know, the, the market's going to watch that weather situation. And knowing it's La Nina and knowing that historically that trends Argentina much drier, possibly into southern Brazil as well. But uh, still still too early to have that to be much of, a, of an impact. I think we're 30, 45 days away from you know seeing that be a, a bigger issue or more focused uh, on the market's standpoint. Right. Okay. One last thing that I just struck some curiosity this morning when I was going through the highlights and typically the second round that we do this, we talked about the cattle market, but just this one headline kind of caught me here. So China approves Russian beef imports. Now I'm not that familiar with the Russian cattle market and what that looks like, but China has been buying a lot of beef from the U S here of late. So what's that look like for the beef market? That's a great question. I I'm not very familiar with that either. Um, I don't know how big of, of a deal that is. Maybe that's a long-term uh, issue that um, being cynical that China is going to, uh, you know, get into some uh, joint ventures or something and try to, you know, put some money into the Russian uh, beef industry. I, I have a hard time believing that's a massive issue right now, but it does go to show you that China's not stupid, right? We have this phase one trade deal coming to the end of that. They're, they're, they've not hit those numbers yet. They said all along from day one, we're going to buy when the market dictates. If there's cheaper supplies somewhere else, whether that's South America, whether that's you know somewhere out of Asia, uh, Russia, they're going to get right. those, those supplies. So I don't know that that's wildly <laughs> bearish right now, but um, it's interesting. 
You know, it, it's it's very interesting because they've recently suspended, uh, you know, Brazil beef. They had a mad cow situation down there. Sound like it was isolated. They've had kind of some back and forth tensions with Australia, where they, you right. know, they get a lot of beef yeah. from Australia. They've been buying, uh, uh, you know, a fair amount from us, record amount uh, from us because they had they, you know, for years and years they didn't buy any of it, and they're there almost weekly for a small amount of of U.S. beef. So interesting de- development um for yeah. sure to say the least That's i think it just kind of it just kind of shows a little bit that, like you said you know china's going to go where china can get the best deal and for it, sure they're not they're not going to be dictated by anything else so it's one of those things where uh these trade deals that that we do i mean china's no uh no dummy to to trade they've been doing it for a very long time and they've, they've gotten pretty good at it over the thousands of years that they've been trading back and forth with other places so we're interested to see what happened it just caught my attention and uh, it's one of those like you said it's just one of those things that kind of stands out a little bit as something to pay attention to all right last but not least let's talk about you talked about soybeans a little bit already and where we're at there but you talked about the vegetable oil market and what that was doing for the soybean market so talk about that a little bit yeah, it's been a very interesting situation here for uh, probably the better part of a year the the old saying uh from the floor days when when there was a floor at the Chicago Board of Trade was that soy oil cannot lead a bull market in beans. And that was proven wrong. And that might have been true for 50, uh, 70, maybe 100 years. But this, uh, over the past year or so, has been the first time I can ever remember that soy oil led a bull market uh, in beans. And that has, again, multiple uh, issues, right? Uh, There was a lot of palm oil production problems um, in Malaysia, a, a big provider of, of palm oil to uh, China and India, and they had some production problems. We uh, in the Northern Plains, the, you know, sunflower production, canola, uh, what some call rapeseed, I think it's kind of my mind one and the same, uh, that drought in the Northern Plains in Canada decimated that production. And so you've really had some some vegetable oil uh, shortfalls um, and still massive demand. And our crush margins here domestically have really exploded higher in the last couple of weeks. Just a straight up move uh, in domestic crush margins, meaning that allows crushers to buy beans, crush the beans, sell the meal, sell the oil. And make good profits. And, and so that's good for bean demand. And we've kind of seen that response in the bean market that, uh, you know, we're well off the lows from a couple of weeks ago, even with the bearish report. And it's right on time because we're 60% harvested. It's, you know, last half of October. And that's typically when we see a, a harvest low and then some sort of a rally into November and December. So that's, that's good news. Um, Chinese crush margins have improved as well. And, and that is what drives a lot of their import um, demand uh, for beans is crush margins. If they have good crush margins, they're going to be a, a bigger buyer of beans from Brazil, Argentina, uh, United States, import that, crush it, uh, and, and make a profit. Um, if their crush margins have been under pressure and negative, they're not going to import as many beans. And, and they have been fairly negative. We've seen the effects of that. That not only did they slow down imports from the United States, they've slowed down uh, their imports uh, from uh, from Brazil a little bit as well. Some of that is because 
Brazil doesn't have as, as big a supply now, you know, where we're at in their uh, growing cycle. And so uh, it's good. It's, it, it's good news, good demand news for beans. I think it's something that's been supporting the bean market here uh, over the past week, continues to overnight. Soy oil's up triple digits. You know, beans have been up uh, double digits here, backed off a little bit. Soy oil now uh, one one sixteen higher, beans up nine and a half. So that's something that continues to drive the profitability of U.S. crushers and increased demand for beans. And that's uh, that's a good thing right now. Yep, absolutely. Well, good stuff, Chip. A million things going on here. Plenty of things to pay attention to. If people work on that plan, need some help developing that plan, what's the best way to get a hold of you guys over at Blue Reef? Yeah, the best way is just give us a call, 309-550-7213. Uh, happy to help walk through a lot of these moving uh, moving pieces and uh, how the gears uh, you know, all work together and, and build and develop a, a, a risk management plan and help execute that. Right on. Well, thanks for being on the podcast, Chip. You bet. Thanks for having me, Casey. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also go to movingironllc.com where you can find everything that's Moving Iron related, blog posts, uh, Moving Iron Summit coming up. More information will be out that soon for 2022 and what that looks like. Also, you're going to be able to see um, all the entire library from podcast number one through podcast. I don't know how many podcasts I've got out there now, but they're, they're all there. So go check those out. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Chip Nellinger. Chip Nellinger. Let's go move some iron folks out. Can't talk today. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales parts or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The reach of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher, time and time again. Through the years, you'll find us here. Moving higher.